Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hey there, and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker. And as usual, whether you are a first-time listener or perhaps you listen every week, it's always great to have you join us here. I want to start by saying thank you again for the feedback on the podcast. The reviews that have been posted really do mean a lot to me, and I read every one of them. So if you haven't yet posted a rating and review, I do have a little favor to ask of you, and that is that you rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app. By doing that, it helps other people to find us, and it motivates us to keep producing great content for you. So all you need to do is go to the Apple Podcast app, search Grow My Salon Business, and then scroll to the bottom of the page, select Ratings and Reviews, and write a review. And we would be very appreciative. So with that said, on with today's show. I very consciously try to get a wide range of guests on the podcast that represent different aspects of the hairdressing industry. Sometimes they're names that are known across the world, but other times there is nothing more satisfying than talking to someone from a small town who is innovative and passionate and has built up a great business in the process. My guest on today's podcast is one such person. Her name is Lisa Carr, and she is the owner of the BHD Salon in Tecumseh, a small town with a population of 8,500 in Michigan in the United States. And in today's podcast, we will discuss how the BHD Salon has grown 37% since COVID, how Lisa has introduced greater flexibility for her team into her business model and her innovative approach to marketing and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Lisa. Hi, thank you for having me. It's absolutely my pleasure. I'm really looking forward to talking to you today. I know you've got a lot to bring to the audience. A lot of people will relate to. So let's just start off with how I always start with, I get my guests to sort of introduce themselves and just do a a sort of short, I usually refer to it as a two-minute backstory. So who is Lisa Carr? Well, I'm a salon owner of 16 years, hairdresser for 27 years. I'm a mom of five, a grandmother of six, a pilot's wife. Um, and that probably sums it up. I think that's enough, right? <laughs> okay, right. You've well, you've certainly uh, surprised me when you said you're a grandmother. You certainly don't look like you'd be a grandmother, not even near. <laughs> Thank you. And when you said a mum of five, okay, so you are a busy lady. All right, okay. <laughs> well, um, I've really enjoyed chatting to you before we started recording, and I know that you've got a lot, uh, a lot to share. And as I just said, you know, I know it's very relatable to people everywhere. So, I, I think I'll start off. Um, talking a little bit about COVID and post-COVID because, you know, a lot of businesses have, um, you know, they've struggled. Some businesses have done very well because they've had good government support, et cetera, but a lot of other people have struggled, and especially as they've come out of COVID. But um, talk to us about how COVID had an impact on your business or how lockdown had an impact on your business and, and what's been happening to your business 
as you know, we've come out of COVID and started to get back to some sense of uh, normalcy? Well, I think um, COVID definitely had a profound impact on my business. Um, you know, I, I want to say the biggest thing that it did is, I'm going to be honest, I had a little bit of a cocky ego. We were doing well. We were well-known in our community. We had tons of great numbers. Um, I, I tried to get my team to think, operate, and believe as, a, as one unit, and I thought that was happening. And when COVID came out, it really brought to light some of the cracks in that foundation and that everyone didn't think, act, and believe the same as, you know, COVID is such a sparked thing that... Um, it brought out a lot of diversity amongst my team of what people believed and didn't believe in pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine, all of that. So I, I felt it made a big divide. Um, it obviously forced us to get creative with our finances. You know, we still had all the same bills coming in, but no revenue. So that was interesting. Um, we, I definitely think coming back from COVID, employees were just different. Um, and I'm not necessarily going to say it's a, uh, it was bad. It felt bad at first, but just different as how engaged they were, how much they wanted to be there. I mean, let's be honest, we were all at home with our coffee and sweatpants for three months. And I think yeah, I yeah. felt the same. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, it was hard to get us all back into work mode again, I think. Um, and then two, I think we had to adapt quickly as a team more than we ever had before. You know, you would have your schedule set for the week. And then all of a sudden someone would call and say, I was exposed to COVID. I can't come in for two weeks. Oh my goodness. We have full books. We're already all over full from the overflow from COVID. And now we're missing a person. Yeah. So that also was a challenge for us. Um, but also too, um, and I think I had talked to you this, about this before, I think that it was a blessing in a sense for my team because we needed a renaissance and I call it a renaissance because we had been doing things the same way for a really long time, you know, 14 years and it was working, but I almost think that we needed a reinvention. And I think that when things get made to be fresh and new, it's a good thing. It's kind of like you were talking about it raining this morning. You know, mm -hmm. it's always a bummer when it rains, but do you ever notice the flowers and everything are brighter and better after we get a good rain? So kind of felt like COVID was a good rain and it, it washed out a lot of stuff that needed to be washed out and, and, and forced us to make some changes. So I think it was a blessing. My, my business actually grew 37% after COVID if you compare year over year, um, which was exciting for me. And I honestly just think it's from that renaissance. I think it made us really um, you know, just get creative and how we treated our guests and being grateful for having our guests and, and treating every day like we might not get to come back tomorrow. So we're going to make okay. the most of today and make the most of our time with our guests. Okay. Um, gosh, lots, lots there, lots of information. Um, a couple of things I want to pick up on. I mean, you know, you, you, you said that COVID was a blessing. Um, I know when we were talking earlier about this, you, was, you were talking about the reflection you know, the time that you had, you know, renaissance, reflection, the time that you had to just sit and think about your business and not just about your business, but about life as well and, and what was important to you and finding, you know, finding balance. Um, talk to us about that, that reflection time. What did, you, what did you mean by that? Well, I think, you know, as listing off all the hats that I wear, which I'm sure lots of owners do, there was never really time to stop and think about what I really wanted. If I could, you know, do anything, they have that saying, if you could do anything, today was your last day on earth, what would you do? And honestly, as a salon owner, and maybe I'm weird, but I bet not, you know, as a salon owner, I'm like, well, I would place a huge order since I'm going to be dead. And I would, <laughs> you know, <laughs> these kinds of things so that my team doesn't fall on their face when I die. 
and and COVID made me like, okay, there is no emergency order to place. There's mm. no, you know, nothing has to be done for the salon. You're just sitting here in your thoughts. And it just made me realize, like I told you, I have six grandkids. My oldest one is 13. Um, you know, just a lot of reflection time of like, wow, time is flying by here. And I keep saying I'm going to do all this quality stuff and personal stuff after I get the salon things done. But we all know the salon list, it's, it's got an erasable pen. And every time you complete something, they erase that and put something else there. So it gave me a lot of reflection time that like things need to get, I need to work smarter, not harder. And I need to figure out what's really, really important and what's not so important. And I think I got better about that when we came back from COVID, you know? Okay. All right. Uh, and then the other big thing that you just sort of slipped in there was A, that you'd been tw- uh, closed for three months in COVID, but then you said, but we grew by 37%. What, what, what do you mean you grew by 37%? You were closed for three months. So is, I mean, how, how was that even possible? So we, you know, I'm a big one for facts, not emotions. So, you know, yes, you can look at the numbers go, well, of course we, we did better. We were closed three months last year, but I actually took it down to days open compared to days open and we grew 37%. Um, And again, I think that guests were ready to do more things. They wanted to pamper themselves. So we had a lot more add-ons and things like that, which I had coached and encouraged my team to offer ahead of time, because I'm like, listen, we could be these people get away, these people, you know, lock the door to all this going on outside. Let's pamper them. Let's offer them all the things. And then also too, uh, when we got back, of course, like most salon owners, uh, we had everyone, you know, all three months worth of guesting. I need to be first on the list. I need to be first on the list and I need evening or Saturday. Well, you know, there's only so many of us, there's only so many hours in the day. So I came up with a crazy idea that my husband was absolutely against and thought for sure my business was going to catch on fire and close after I announced this ridiculous idea. But um, we did what was called VIP Mondays. So we're not open on Mondays normally. Um, and I went to my staff and asked for volunteers. And basically I said, listen, we're going to do VIP Monday, almost like if you go to a concert and you have a VIP ticket, you get to go backstage, you get all this special treatment. So what if we did VIP Monday, which means we'll open the salon for you when we're closed. Um, well, you'll come in, you're going to get all the five-star service that you would normally get, but you're going to be first in line. Um, and we're going to upcharge those services um, so that it's worth it for the stylist to come in almost like they're getting time and a half, like anyone else would if they work their day off or double time. Yeah. Um, and we offered it to the guests right down the list in order and said, you know, you certainly don't have to come in on those days. You can certainly go into our schedule anywhere else that we are normally open, but this is an opportunity for you. Um, I filled five of those instantly, five weeks of Mondays, um, from noon to eight every single Monday for five weeks. So I obviously ended that once we got caught up, but now it's starting to be a brainchild for me that maybe that could be something that could be once a month or once every two months, you know, VIP Monday. So that was a huge thing for us. So, and, and what on those VIP Mondays, the staff were paid time and a half. Is that what you're saying? This, to... Yes. The staff, yes. The staff was paid the extra as well. Yes. Yeah. And, and the clients were charged 50% premium on top of the normal service. Yes. And yes. you, and you yes. filled up seven Mondays mm-hmm. as soon as you announced that. Seven Mondays, five bang, Mondays. fully booked. Five Mondays. Yes. Right. Five and, Mondays. Yes. And the only reason they stopped, I feel, is because I shut them down because I don't know why, actually. Now that we're talking, I'm thinking maybe I should have left yeah. those going. But it was more of just recover from COVID. This is our emergency plan. And, and so that's what we did for temporary. And what, what sort of response did that get from clients? Did the clients sort of feel that you were gouging them or, or they just couldn't care less? They just wanted their hair done. They were happy to pay 50% more than what they'd normally pay. 
They were honestly grateful and ecstatic. I mean, I couldn't believe they just sounded so grateful and thank you so much. I don't care what I have to pay. Yes, I want in. So the response was hugely positive. That is incredible. Okay, that's great. Um, I know I, I said in the intro that your salon is in a small town in Michigan, uh, a town called Tecumseh, and there are 8,500 people there. So it is a small town. Um, yes. When you said that, um, that you'd grown by uh, 37% or whatever it was, uh, yeah, 37%, I thought you were going to say that, well, two or three of the salons in town had closed. So was there mm. any negative effect on other salons in the town? I mean, did other salons close? Were you the, were you the benefactor of businesses that couldn't make it through or not? You know, honestly, I'm happy to say I have a great relationship with several of the salons. In fact, a lot of the owners are girls that worked for me back in the day. Yeah. Um, and I'm happy to say I don't know of any salons in our town that closed, which was really a pleasant surprise. So, no, it definitely was not from any closures. Well, that's really interesting. Okay. All right. And when we were talking before, and I know you mentioned it uh, a minute ago on the, on the very first thing you said, that you'd been in business for 16 years. And you were telling me that there was a turning point for you um, around the eight-year mark. Um, and, you know, you'd been behind the chair, rammed with clients all day, every day. And there was this, this moment in time uh, eight years in, we thought, no, there has to be a different way. Uh, talk to us about that. So um, obviously, eight years in of owning the salon, I had a huge spa, you know, just like a lot of young owners, I thought I had to be everything to everybody and have the biggest, prettiest salon in town. So that's what I jumped into with zero knowledge of running a business um, and suffered eight years of Monday through Saturday, eight to 10 hour days behind the chair. And then I would do the cleaning and the maintenance and the bills and all of that on my off time. And after eight years of that, it, it literally ugly picture to, to paint. Um, it got to where most days I would pull into the parking lot. I would tear up because of all the stress of it and just, you know, and so I'd have to clean myself up, go in the back door and greet my team and pretend everything was fine. And um, I actually uh, literally had a crying spell in the parking lot the day before I went to a hair show in Detroit. And I went to this hair show and I saw a speaker at a, at a business class and all the things he was saying, I was like, that's me, that's happening to me, that's me. And so I got brave and emailed him and just said, hey, I don't have any money. In fact, I'm broke. I'm not even paying myself right now. Um, but I would love if you would mentor me somehow. I can pay you something. I'm just not sure what I can afford. And he graciously took me on and um, I worked with him for about two years, um, mostly Zoom because he was in California and it hugely changed my business. And that's where the whole pivot began for me. That's fantastic. And I know that you use that expression that, that uh, I believe Michael Gerber was the first one to say it, which was um, work on your business, not in your business. Um, you you had a small business. You, you still, in, okay, you've got a big business in terms of a small town. Um but it's still a small business. And a lot of small business owners are really reticent to come off the tools. They want to be behind the chair. They don't see any other way of doing that. I imagine a lot of the salons in your town are owner-operator behind the chair all the time. Mm -hmm. So um, how, did, how did that work when you decided, no, I am no longer going to be stretched so thin. I'm no longer going to be the busiest one in the salon, doing the most color, doing the most clients, doing the most retail. I'm going to start working on the business instead. And 
a lot of people, when I talk to them about that, and, you know, they use that expression, it's a well-used expression now, is they say, but Anthony, what would I actually do if, if I was working <laughs> on the business instead of in the business? Um, talk to us about that. What, what, does your, what does your day look like? What does your week look like? But well, I'll back up a little if you don't mind. So I can actually remember the day that I decided to start doing this. Um, I was already using a coach and he was giving me all of these great ideas and things that I could implement. But okay, you heard what I my schedule I was keeping. Where where am I gonna fit that in? And then on top of that, the last day that I fully committed to working full-time behind the chair, I was um, taking care of one of my best guests who spends the most money with me, buys all the retail, all the things. Meanwhile, I had a guest up front losing her full mind on my front desk associate, just screaming and carrying on. And I sat there feeling torn between taking care of my very best guest as a stylist, but also taking care of what was going on as far as this person at the front desk. And so I literally at that moment realized, okay, I'm doing all the things, but I'm not doing any of them well. (laughs) So at that moment, I decided something had to give. And so basically what I started at is I decided that I needed to figure out first what I was worth per hour, because at that time, I couldn't just stop being behind the chair. And I know I've heard of owners doing that. And then they wonder why the business fails and it closes. Um, I knew that I had to replace my revenue. I had to do that. So I figured out what I was worth an hour in revenue. And then I just started with one hour a week. I would block myself one hour ahead of time. But then I had to be able to create that revenue with that hour. So whatever I was working on in that hour, it wasn't I was going to get to go have coffee with my friends. It was... I've got to figure out a something, a system, a marketing, something that's going to replace that hour that I'm taking off. Then I earned two hours and so on and so on. Then pretty soon it was a day until I had fully phased out. So it wasn't like I just woke up one morning and erased myself out of the books. Okay. Um, okay. And, and, so, and so, so what did you like, do? Like, like you say, I had to replace myself with a system to reproduce that money. Like give us some examples of, of what, what did that look like in the real world? Sure. Okay. So I started right from the ground up. So what's your very first contact with a salon? It's your front desk, right? So Mm -hmm. if you don't get a good impression from that very first contact, you may never even see one of my stylists, which is where we get our revenue, right? So I started working backwards. So the very first thing I did was started sitting down for an hour each week and creating systems and teaching those systems to my front desk staff so that Every time you call my salon, you get a very consistent greeting. You get a very consistent way to, you know, it's very professional. It's very, it's not just off the cuff. Um, So I just started doing things like that. Every time I had that time, another system went into place or, you know, something like that, or another marketing thing was put into place. Um, Now, you ever hear the expression, oh, I'm retired and I'm busier than I was before. (laughs) So, and in a good way. It's a good way though. I mean, honestly, I promise you, you find things to do with your time when you're working on your business. You know, now uh, I like to sum it up really quickly by saying that, you know, now I get to be proactive in my business. So I get to have time to foresee any problems that are going to be coming. Let's, let's be honest. We're in, we're going into a recession in the U S it's looking very, Mm -hmm. very much. So, um, so I can actually, now that I'm not behind the chair, I can be looking at things that we can do now to prepare ourselves for a recession. Instead of being emotional when they're in the thick of things, I don't feel like I make great decisions when I'm just in the thick of it and I'm having to make a rash decision. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I spend a lot of time being proactive instead of reactive. And that that takes up a lot of my time. I'm able to look better at my finances and be more organized about how I'm ordering back bar and retail and taking advantage of, you know, you know, the sales rep would come in and he'd be like, hey, we have 20% off lightener this week. Well, back in the day, I didn't have time to figure out how many tubs of lightener I go through in six months and to be able to save that profit margin for myself. So it was like, I'll take two 
I don't even know what I can afford at that point, but sounds good. <laughs> now I have the time to sit down and figure out, wow, I go through 12 tubs of lightener in a quarter. I'm going to order two cases of this and keep that profit margin for myself. So mm-hmm. things like that. So you're making money from not being behind the chair, if that makes sense. Okay. So, I, okay. So you did it gradually. What, what sort of reaction did it get from clients uh, and team? What, 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 what were the things that happened as you started to extricate yourself from being behind the chair? Because there's always those clients that, you know, they're not going to anybody else. Yes, so talk to yes. us about that. Yes, hugely. Uh, you know, guests, I started telling them right from that first hour, hey, I'm going to have shorter days on Tuesdays. I'm, I'm out for an hour to grow my business this and this. And I have to be honest, Anthony, and I don't think I'm anyone special. I just know that I never was a fantastic hairdresser. I mean, I was okay. I could do a nice job, but I wasn't like you. I saw a video of you the other day. You were like hairdresser of the year, some crazy awards. That was never me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did know how to treat someone really, really special and really, really well. And so all I did when I told my guests, they were bummed, but I said, I promise you, I will never hand you to someone that will not treat you even better than I was able to treat you by being so, you know, what do I want to say? Um, caught off guard with trying to run the business and be a hairdresser. You're going to get a full 100% hairdresser, but I'm going to train them to be the kind of services that you've gotten for me. And honestly, they were all really happy and excited for me. They were nervous, of course, but I just, um, you know, gave them that assurance let them know, you know, you can personally contact me anytime. And then I started to grow stylist. I brought on an assistant and I taught her to do my guests exactly the way I did and and more about that five-star service. And honestly, most of them are still coming to the salon eight years later and they're not obviously with me anymore. So I'm, I'm, I think we did okay with that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And were you still in the salon? Were you like, or were you yes. working from an office at home or you were in an office in the salon where you, so you still had that physical presence? So in the beginning, the physical presence was really, really important because before that, you know, I was in the building, but no mental with my team present. So yeah. I felt that was really important. So yes, I didn't do any less hours in the salon when I started stepping away from the chair. And it was also sort of, I got to be honest, hairdressers. I mean, I have ADD. I think 80% of hairdressers do. I knew if I wasn't in the salon, I wouldn't be doing the things I'm supposed to be doing. I would be like, you know, shopping online for a new dress or something. So I made myself stay in the salon because I felt like, listen, you're still working that time that you're off. You're not off. You're still earning revenue during that time. And so you need to be at work now, you know, eight years later. Yes. Mostly I work from home. Um, I'm in the salon one day a week with my team just to touch base and hang out and, and to see how they're doing and help them with anything that they're, you know, struggling with or goals or whatever. But um, in that first, you know, probably three to four, maybe even five years, I still, all the time that I would have been behind the chair, I spent in the salon. Yeah. Do, do you have a manager in the salon? So when you're not there, I, there's someone else in charge? I do, but I actually, um, because I didn't have a huge budget when I started mm-hmm. all of this, I actually have salon directors and I have three of them um, mm-hmm. and they're stylists as well. So they each take turns being captain. We call it the captain of the team for the day. So that person okay. handles anyone who's upset or problems and it works out great. So nobody shoulders that all the time. Yeah, because it's often a thing that, that salon owners will say to me when they are working on their business, not in their business, and they're working from home because they can get more done in the home office without distractions, et cetera, is that they'll often say to me that the negative side of that is that they end up losing some staff because the staff start mm-hmm. thinking, well, why am I working so that she can lay around at home like Lady Muck or whatever the expression is? <laughs> do, you, do, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, um, And yes. so 
why should I be building her business for her if she's not even going to be here, so to speak? Uh, but you obviously mm-hmm. have have managed that transaction and and whatever, and it's it's been effective. Let me ask you about profitability because on one hand you said when you had this you know breakdown uh, that you literally weren't even paying yourself uh, or weren't paying yourself properly. Um, and then, okay, I know you said you did it over time, but you extricated yourself from seeing clients uh, to the point of where you're then no longer on the floor at all. Um, what did that do to, to the profitability of the salon? What did that do to your ability to be able to pay yourself? It, it actually um, increased profitability hugely. You know, example, like I just said, you know, that I'm not kidding. That was my ordering. I would wait till the rep showed up. I'd have maybe... 10, 15 minutes with him. And he'd be like, Hey, this is on special. Hey, what about this? Yes. Yes. Give it all to me. And so I don't even want to know what my back bar percentage was or my retail percentage. It just was all, you know, off the hip. Um, and then too, you'll laugh. So when I decided to make that commitment that day, when that guest was hair was on fire at the front desk and I was torn, I decided I need to start paying myself and I've got to start getting out from behind the chair. So I started at $10 a paycheck. So every time the girls would get paid and I would do payroll, I would pay myself $10. And then I just slowly increased that as I made sure that the business was growing in percentage of revenue. So I could never give myself a raise without seeing that my percentages had went up in revenue. So it was just, and I know it sounds silly, but I needed that parenting boss like structure as well, just like anyone else does. I feel like sometimes people think, oh, you're a boss. You, you have it all together. No, I'm a hot mess a lot of the time. So I need all this structure for myself as well. And I, honestly, I think a lot of people go out and they think, oh, I'm a great hairdresser. I'm going to be a good business owner. And if you're not a good self leader, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're not going to make it. So yeah. I had to put all of those things in place for myself. Um, and I, I, yeah, my profitability is huge. Now, I think, honestly, we ran in a negative profit percentage for so many years, as you can tell. I mean, if I was working full time behind the chair, and not able to pay myself, that's negative. Yeah. Um, and now we're running about 10% profit, um, you know, after I pay myself, which I think is pretty great. So I actually pay myself to be our bookkeeper, our our manager, our, you know, those things. I get paid every payroll, just like the girls. Um, And then we have a nice, sizable, profitable savings for, you know, rainy day or whatever we decide we want to do next. Good. That's fantastic. Um, I didn't quite get what you meant when you said that you would do the payroll or whatever and you'd pay yourself $10. Are you meaning that you started paying yourself $10? Yes, a $10 check. A ten dollar yes. check. What yes. for the week? That was your pay. Yeah. The... You're joking. <laughs> Wait, no, no, it's worse. We pay bi-weekly, so two weeks, so five dollars a week. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay. All right. Well, you know, you were obviously doing something right if you've now turned that around. You pay yourself properly, and the business is averaging about a ten percent profit after you've been paid, and that's always a really important distinction to make because uh, a lot of people don't. Um, okay, so you you have uh, twelve team members. Uh, I'm right saying that, aren't I? Twelve are they twelve productive? Yeah. Like, is there twelve people in total, or twelve people that are money producers? No, there's actually only four full money producers right now. Um, yeah. And then I have uh, three in our associate program, so they bring in money here and there, but they're not something that I count on yet till yeah. we get them fully on the floor. So we really only have four full producers right now. Okay, that's interesting. So I'm, I'm thinking of other salon owners that listen to this. And, and I, I, I'll often have salon owners say to me, 
uh, Anthony, I'm going to I'm going to step back from behind the chair and I'm going to work on my business instead of in my business. And I will often say to them, you can't afford to because you do not have enough people producing revenue to enable you to step back and stop doing clients. Now, I know you've done it gradually, and that is probably the key to this. But what I wanted to ask you was, as a ballpark figure, if there is such a thing, what would your answer be to that salon owner who says, I want to step away from behind the chair? Because I usually say to them, you need about six revenue-producing people, good revenue-producing people, for the business to be able to afford you to step back from the chair. How would you address that? You know, honestly, I, I like your number. I think a comfortable number, to be honest, is five to six. I just had two that have been with me a really long time that wanted to stay home with their kids, um, just retire. So, you know, we are two shorter than I like to be right now. Uh, but it can be done with four. You know, I can remember back in the day, I had 16 employees. And oh my goodness, mm-hmm. if one of these hairstylists walked out, we're going down in flames. And it's just not true. If you're running your business well, uh, you can weather anything. You know, one of the things, you know, I didn't want to think that or sound like I'm running a, such a terrible business back in the day. I was just really tight with the money. And I've got to thank my husband for that. He's a very good financial brain. Uh, mm. He didn't let me pay myself because he said, we're going to pay you by paying off our debt. So our business is also debt free, uh, which I think is a huge thing these days. So I don't owe anything to any bank or credit cards or anything like that. So mm-hmm. I, I guess I'm just saying that I don't know as though there's a magic number of producers. Mm-hmm. It, it would depend on how much debt you have. You know, yeah, yeah if yeah. you're swimming in debt, you're going to need at least that many. But I think five to six is a nice number. I really do. That's yeah. when we've felt the most cushy in our salon. Obviously, more is even better, but I don't know about you guys where you are, but here, it, you know, labor is pretty shortage. We're in a shortage. So we're doing the best we can and we're still able to thrive with that number because we don't have a ton of debt, you know? Yeah. Um, when you say you don't have any debt, and you were talking about that. I was going to ask you, do you own the real estate that the salon is in? We do not. We rent our real estate, but we did take a sizable loan to do our build out. Um, And, you know, we don't own any of that. And again, we don't play with credit cards at all. We have a very small limit. We spend on it and pay it off every month. I think that'd be, if anybody gets anything out of this podcast, it's, you don't have to be so in debt to have a great business. You know, I feel like people think they have to build these huge, beautiful, ridiculously expensive buildings and, and that's going to make their business. And that's just not it. Yeah, I agree. It's good for people to hear that. Um, Have you ever been forced back behind the chair? So you're gradually extricating yourself from seeing clients and then two of your stylists come in and they resign and say they're going to open up their own salon down the road and then all of a sudden you think, oh, God, I've got to get back behind the tools. Have you ever had to go through that? So, so you'll probably chuckle at this. You're probably thinking this girl is just something, but, uh, I I've never been forced that way. I've refused to be forced that way because I kind of felt like, you know, if I walk out tomorrow and I get hit by a truck and and killed, my business needs to survive without me or else it's not a real business. And so Mm. I've never let that force me, but I let myself force me about, uh, a year, year and a half after I got out from behind the chair and things were going so well. And these girls were all looking like rock star stylists. I was like, I want to be a rock star stylist. So I came back, uh, purely out of my own ego, I think wanting to Mm -hmm. be like, I want to be that cool hairdresser. And so I came back two days a week 
and quickly realized like that was the most idiotic business decision I could have made. And <laughs> honestly, things, things started slipping things that were really important to me and that were a part of my success started slipping, which they should have, you know, I, I just don't think, um, I, I'm not saying anyone else can't, but myself, I can't do both really well. I have to focus on one or the other. And I learned that lesson the hard way. I don't regret it. It was a good lesson for me, but yeah, I, I never forced except for by my, for my own self. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, what's the secret to, to, if you were advising someone else who was a, a salon owner and wanted to step away from the chair for whatever reason, sometimes it's because they no longer enjoy cutting hair. Sometimes it's because they have, you know, health issues with the, with their back or their arms or their shoulders or whatever it is. Uh, and sometimes it's because they want to grow the business. They want to, you know, and they recognize that that takes time. Um, what, what would you say were the top sort of two or three things that are really important to make sure you do if you're going to step away from the chair? I think... Um... Number one, and again, even if you're injured, um, I, I think I said the saying to you I live by is ETR, which is earn the right. Um, you know, for instance, I don't have an office in my salon. We did a new build out um, at a different location that was smaller, got rid of the small spa, just concentrating on there. And I don't have an office. And I did that on purpose because I used to hide in my office from my staff, to be honest, and, you know, pretended I was busy in there when really I just didn't want to deal with all of that. And that was probably the best thing I ever did was get out of the office and be in with my team. Now, years later, I'm seeing the need for an office and I want an office. Well, all we have is a wax room in the salon that would allow for an office. So I literally did the revenue on that. And I know that I need to create, you know, $3,000 in revenue in a month's time to have that office. So earn the right. So I feel like owners make a lot of brash emotional decisions and they don't really look at the financial repercussions after that decision. So I feel like that'd be number one. Um, number two, I think stay humble and stay in a servant leadership mindset. So um, you know, I never ask my team to do things that I wouldn't be willing to do. So I try to stay humble and try to remember being them when I worked for a salon owner. So stay in touch with them. And then I think number three would be to, um, the people come first. And I mean, the people within your four walls, as opposed to the people outside. And I think a lot of times we concentrate on guests first, which don't get me wrong. Guests are obviously the heartbeat of our salon, but really it's your people inside. If they're happy and thriving personally and professionally, there's no way that you're not going to have great revenue coming from guests and guests wanting to come in and spend time. So I think those would be my three for sure. Probably okay. lots more, but that, that those three. Yeah. That, that last one, you know, I, I, I've heard it said in different ways. I'm, I often talk about it as an as the salon owner. Your your clients are your team, mm -hmm. and and that's where your focus should be. Not on the clients, as in the paying mm -hmm. clients, guests, customers, um, but your clients are your team. So that's a that's a really important point that you brought up there. Okay. Um, well, lots of lots of you know great wisdom here. Um, you, you said you've only got you said there's twelve people, but there's four that are. I think you alluded to them as being full time money producers behind the chair. So obviously that means that you've got uh, some significant amount of part time money producers behind the chair. What have you done to create flexibility for your team, other than just you don't all have to work a five day week? So I, I want to say first, and a lot of owners would be scared of this, and I was too. I actually uh, created a survey 
anonymous survey and I sent it to my team. And it basically was like, hey, if you bought the salon tomorrow, what things that you don't like now would you change? What things would you keep? Um, you know, what would be better to work here? What would make this the best place? I want this to be the Disney world, which here in the States, Disney world is just the end all be all, you know, I, I want this to be the Disney world of places to work. What would we need to do? Um, and a lot of those surveys came back and I'll be honest, some of it was hard to read. Some of it was hard to take, mm -hmm. but honestly, number one, we all know hairdressers can be very exaggerative and very dramatic. I'm one. So I get to say really? that. Uh, oh, I heard that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I took, you know, I took all of it though, as it was fact, even if I thought now that isn't true, mm -hmm. you know, but I tried to grow from and pretend all of it was true. And then I just started trying to create things. And I made a summary of basically, you know, in general, everyone said, we want more time off. We want paid time off. We want in the States, we don't get a lot of paid time off. And no, I don't have yeah. to give any. Yeah. Um, and so that's a huge thing here. So um, then I just started creating again. Okay, guys, I would love to give you these things, but here's where we are now. And here's where we would need to be revenue wise to get this. Mm -hmm. um, and I tell you, every time I give them a challenge of, hey, they don't want to work late, late nights. That was one of their things. We used to be open till nine o'clock in the evening. By the time we got out of there, it was 10, 1030. Mm -hmm. um, and I said, okay, well, here's the amount of revenue that we would lose if we closed at eight o'clock. Um, if you guys can produce that revenue earlier in the day, why do I care when you make the revenue? It doesn't matter to me when the revenue comes in. And also too, you know, if you think about it, professionals, so doctors, lawyers, you don't go see them at 8 PM in the evening, but for some reason, professional hairdressers have been put under that, at least here have been put under that. Mm -hmm. Like if you're going to be successful, you have to work 8 PM, 9 PM. And I don't believe that. I think that if we can create the revenue we need to create during the day, we get to be picky about what hours that we're yeah. here. So how, how um, many days a week we did that. How many days a week we're, were you doing that? Eight or nine o'clock at night? Was that every night of the week? We were doing it three nights a week. Yes. Right. Okay. So, so even in a small town, you were doing three late nights yeah. a week. Okay. Yes. Yes. So we closed on Mondays. We're not open on Mondays anymore. Um, mm -hmm. And we closed at seven on Wednesdays and Thursdays. So we have no really late nights. Our latest night is eight o'clock, which has been huge for our team. Um, also, they wanted holiday breaks off. You know, your husband got 4th of July weekend off here in America. That's a huge holiday. Yeah. Well, you're a hairdresser. You don't got 4th of July weekend off. We started closing for all of those holidays. And Anthony, my, my revenue went up after we did that. So we're closed for a long holiday for Labor Day. All of those, we're closed probably more than any salon around. And we're still producing revenue because I feel the staff is happy. And so they produce more when they're happy. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. It doesn't matter. I mean, I... I a mutual friend of ours, Stephanie Kachowski at Paul Mitchell, she told me I should talk to you because you are really clever with some of the, and forward thinking with some of the marketing initiatives, et cetera, that you do. You mentioned one of them before when you talked about uh, VIP Mondays and charging a, a, a was it a 50% premium for, for Mondays? Yes, yes. Okay. Yes. So, so that's significant. Um, what other things have you done because she was telling me that you do some really imaginative things to help grow your team members not just professionally in terms of teaching them how to do you know a better balayage or whatever but personally so tell us about some of those things so I think the one I'm proudest of is my financial wellness that I work with the team um I don't know what it is but a lot of hairdressers are broke as a joke. I don't mm. know why I was too. We're, I think it's because we deal with so much cash all the time. And so we don't treat that as our real income. Um, so I do a, a class with them. I teach them about investments. 
um, and how, you know, they need to start saving for retirement now and how their money can double on itself. I teach them about having a savings. I teach them about interest. So, you know, this credit card you're using, you're going to pay for it three times if you pay the minimum, things like that. Um, I do five love languages with them. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. That's a book um, that Mm -hmm. teaches how to, oh, it's a great book. Um, Five love languages basically teaches you how to love other people, how they like to be loved. So, and there's a workplace one and there's also a relationship one. So basically if you are, say you're someone that's gifts. So there's five love languages. One of them is gifts. So you will tend to give people, you love tons of gifts, but if theirs isn't gifts and there's this physical touch, they're not hearing your love. So teaching my team how to love people the way the people need loved instead of how they think they should. Um, I do tons of one-on-ones where we plan 10 years, five years, all the way down to the next six weeks, what we're going to do to hit our goals. And that's personally and professionally. So you want to buy a house, we figure out how much a house is going to be. And then we figure out what you need to do in revenue to be able to buy your own house. Um, And then we do focus meetings twice a month where we're not allowed to bring any problems really to that meeting. It's all about celebrating everyone and the things we've accomplished and people have inspired each other. We may do some type of Lisa time where I will do something inspirational, some kind of message to motivate them. Um, We do team outings and bonding. So I've rented a huge house in California on the beach for my whole team. And we spent a few days together or a a place in Michigan that's on the lake or something. Um, And then mentorship, we always have continuous mentorship. So I always, from the time that that coach made such a difference, I always have a mentor um, in my corner that I'm either paying or not paying. Sometimes my mentors, like you, I told you, I, I watch you, I have all your grow books you're a mentor of mine. You probably didn't know you were a mentor of mine, but always having mentors and making sure that my staff has mentors. Mm -hmm. Um, because you know, my dad used to say that if you want to fly like a a Eagle, you can't hang out with turkeys. And so, you know, you're like the five people you hang out with. So one needs to be a mentor, someone doing bigger and better things than you are so that you rise to that. Um, but yeah, I would think that that's probably a big bulk of what I do to grow my team, a ton of personal growth, because I think if they're doing well personally, they can't help but be successful professionally. And that's been huge for our success. Probably the biggest key. So many good takeaways there. I Googled, uh, that book, uh, while you were talking five love languages, it's by Gary Chapman. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So yes. that, that, that sounds good. That makes a lot of sense. What you just said as well there. Uh, at both a professional and a personal level, that that would apply, wouldn't it? So, yeah, I guess. Yes, and make sure, like I said, there is a love languages at work. Yeah. You know, that one is huge because, right, what salon owner hasn't been like, hey, you guys sold a lot of retail. We're doing a pizza party. Well, if this person is quality time, is their love language, your pizza party didn't say thank you to them. So they're still feeling yeah. unappreciated and you dropped 100 bucks on a pizza party. So it's it's a huge book. I love it. Yeah. Okay. That's the same author, is it? Love Languages at Work? Yes. Right. Okay. So well worth checking out because people, that's often what people will say to me, how do I motivate my team? And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, the answer that I always give them is, well, you need to find out what motivates them because different people are motivated by different things. I haven't heard of that book, but it sounds like a a really good, you know, deep dive into into that, that different people are motivated Mm -hmm. by different things and you need to find out what their hot button is, so to speak. Um, okay. Uh, what else do I want to ask you about? You, you have obviously sort of been constantly reimagining your business. And again, I'm, I'm always intrigued by the sort of the small town thing. I mean, you know, I, I grew up in, a, in a, a suburb. It wasn't a town. It was a suburb. And I, I can remember it had exactly the number that you're saying your town has, you know, 8,500 people. It's a small, that's a small town, you know, 
Um, Mm -hmm. And so when you have a business in a small town like that, I don't know how isolated Tecumseh is in in Michigan, but it tends to be very inward looking when you come from a small town. And yet you're coming up with these great initiatives, these great ideas. You're very outward looking and, you know, uh, about how you reimagine your business. Um, Where does that inspiration come from? for changing your business, for reinventing your business, for reinventing what your team want, what clients want, and, you know, these new marketing ideas, et cetera, what, what you had. So I, I would say uh, completely honestly, a little bit of stubbornness. I've never liked being um, the same as everybody else. I always wanted to be different. I always want to be the best of the best. And, you know, it's like I tell my team, I'm no genius. I'm no, you know, something that fell from the sky, this amazing salon owner. I'm just somebody that wanted to be a little different than the guy next door. And and to be, I kind of call it the purple cow. You know, if you looked out in a Mm. field and saw a purple cow, cow, you'd notice them. And so I wanted to be not just noticed. I mean, I wanted to be successful, but just to be different. And I was finding 100%, like you said, we're very rural. If you want to do any good shopping, you know, like a big mall or anything like that, you're going to drive 45 to 50 minutes. And what I found when I got behind the chair here, was that if anybody wanted a really special salon experience, they drove the 45 minutes to a big city like Ann Arbor or Detroit or Toledo. And I thought, that's just silly. We, you know, why is that not here? Why is no one doing that? And that's what I set out to create. The inspiration came from why do we, why just because we live in Tecumseh, do we have to drive 45 minutes to get a five-star salon experience to be pampered, to have, you know, feel like royalty. Um, and, and that's where I think the inspiration came from is just, I always want to be better, different, always. Okay. What what does the the small town give you as an advantage? I think small towns, uh, I feel like the advantage of it's a very personal relationship with salon and stylist and guest. Um, I feel like people are personally invested here. They know that if they don't support our small businesses, our town could definitely, you know, go away as, as anything on the map as quickly as it came about. So I, I do feel like in a small town, you get a lot of loyalty. I think too, you know, we try to give back and do things within our community. And, and that's really noticed when you're in a small town because they don't have tons of people vying for that spot. So Um, and, and I'll be honest too, like I told you before, you got to be careful because, you know, we're a big fish in a, in a small pond. And I want to be careful that I don't take on that attitude of, well, we're already the best of the best. Because like I said, some kid could graduate school tomorrow and come up with some things that are way better than what we're doing. So, Mm. um, I think I love small town though. I love the feel of our small town. It's so warm and friendly and welcoming. Mm. Um, and so it's great to do to pamper the people that work hard and, and deserve to come in and get away for a couple hours. Yeah, you get a you get a great sense of community in a small town. Mm-hmm. That in a bigger in a big city, it's it's a different type of community, but it's not the same sort of community feeling that you get in a small town. Uh, so, you know, Anthony, a, a, a story of small town love. I mean, I don't even know if you've heard of this, but it just melted my heart when we were shut down for COVID. You know, I obviously had to put a social media announcement out that I'm sorry, we've been closed, you know, by the government, blah, blah, blah. And we had so many guests. I have chills right now telling you about it. We had so many guests messaging us, asking us if they could buy three months of appointments in advance. Um, could they buy gift cards? What could they do to help us? And I thought mm-hmm. that's just so, I mean, they're sitting at home with their own jobs. at at worry Mm. and they're worried about us and wanting to pay ahead so that we could stay open and i just thought that was fantastic Mm. yeah no that is that is what what um 
you know, in, again, in a small town, how how important is social media? Is oh, it, it's does huge. it have the same relevance? It does, right? Okay, so your Instagram 100%. and all that stuff is every bit as important to you, no matter, right? Yes. Okay. Well, 100%. And honestly, here, I've never been one to do phone book ads and newspaper ads and billboards. I mean, it's obviously been available. But to me, I guess I thought to myself, would I choose my doctor from a billboard or a telephone book or a newspaper ad? I wouldn't. And I feel like people feel like their hair is just as important as their health. And so word of mouth is huge for us. And so social media is where we get our word of mouth out. You know, it's not like everybody's walking our bustling streets here. It's very quiet downtown. So we need that social media shout out, that social media person to say, man, this place is the best. So it's yeah. huge for us, huge, because we don't do any other advertising. So yeah. Okay. Good. And another thing I wanted to ask you about again, I'll keep I, I know I'm sort of <laughs> I'm beaten up to come see because it's a, it's a small <laughs> town. No, I think it's just I, I, I'll often hear when I talk to salon owners. So though you know it's one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you because You've got a small business in a in a small town. It's not a small business. It's a big. It's twelve people. It's a it's a it's a big salon. The average salon in the U.S. has got way under that. I mean, you know, it's probably four or five mm-hmm. people, and it's it's even less than that in in uh, uh, in most of Europe and in Australia and in the U.K. It's probably about you know the average salons probably six people or whatever, you know. So. Um, and what I was going to say was that, that sometimes people will listen to guests that I have on the podcast and they'll listen to them and they'll be entertained by it and they'll be inspired by it. But sometimes they'll reach out to me and they'll say, yeah, but Anthony, you can't do that in a small town. Do you know what I mean? Whatever that is, whether yes. it's the prices, yes. whether it's the marketing, whether it's the, the retail sales or, or whether it's even just attracting, you know, and motivating team members. So, what I wanted to ask you before we wrap up or start to wrap up is with with Gen Z today, with an 18-year-old that you're going to employ today, you know, straight out of school or whatever, out of beauty school, um, how do they differ to the, to the 18-year-old 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago when you first started out in this industry? They differ hugely, hugely. And I think I talked to you that I'm a little jealous of them, to be honest. And I feel like a lot of salon owners are talking with them. They're kind of mad and angry and frustrated at this new way of thinking. Um, But honestly, I think it's a jealousy. I I think now that I've been trying to open my mind and my heart and my eyes to how they think and what they what they believe. Honestly, you know, our generation, which I think there's a lot of Gen Xers of that type, baby boomers, maybe that own salons. And, you know, we were always taught that you work hard every single day, all day, if, if, if you have the opportunity and you don't ever stop, you just work hard. And even if you don't like your job, you stay there because you don't have a better one to go to. And that's just how it was. And your reward for all of that is they let you keep your job. And these kids today, they want to know they're making a difference. They want appreciation. They want more personal life balance. They want more time at home. They want all of those things. So I think that's the difference. But I kind of think, you know, and even myself, I'm going to be transparent and say that I even talked like this at first. They're getting a label that they're lazy, but I honestly don't think that they are lazy now that I'm looking at it. I think yeah. they just have a different view of what what um, quality is. And, and honestly, that's what I'm trying to start to lead to is, hey, I'm okay if you only want to be here two days or even three days a week. But when you're here, I'm going to help you be the most present, the most productive so that you earn the right to only be here two or three days so that you still can not live in your parents' basement and pay for your house and pay for your car and pay for all those things. And it's possible. You just can't do it the microwave way. I feel like these kids now, you know, they're sitting at home on their phone. If they want to 
a, a new joystick for their video game, they hit Amazon Prime and order and it's on their doorstep the next day. And yeah. I feel like they're getting a vision that that's how real life is. And it's mm. not that way. So I've been trying to get them to see that you can have all this stuff. And I think it's great that you think this. I wish I would have thought like them when I was, you know, 18, 20 mm. years old. But there's a way to do it. And, it, and it's a process. And, and getting them to slow down a little bit and realize that anything earned quickly is probably not lasting. So getting them to stay around and stay focused long enough to get to the part where they get to only work two days a week, three days a week. And, and I, I feel like it, they're teachable. We just have to teach it differently, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does. I mean, I don't think they're lazy. I've got two in, in the house, uh, <laughs> uh, a 23-year-old yeah. or 21-year-old. They uh, they work extraordinarily hard, and I know it's not just my mm-hmm. kids that do that. So, But, yeah, they have, a, they have a different way of looking at it. They have different expectations. Mm-hmm. They have different values. So, uh, you know, you've got some, some really good insights there. Um, th- one thing that I did want to just touch on, um, and I know we've only got a few minutes left, is you, you mentioned before that, you know, from a business perspective that you, you'd be, you know, comfortable saying that you're making 10% profit. Um, I just want to ask you a couple of other things about the business side of your business. Um, starting off with retail, what, what, what sort of percentage of total sales out of your total revenue each week would come from retail? So we're doing between 16 and 18% consistently. You know, we yeah. do have some days 21, 22, but Generally, I can count on between 16 and 18%, which is a, a very proud number to carry. We, ju- we just were um, voted Paul Mitchell's top 15 salons in the whole United States, Canada, and Mexico. So I'm assuming that that is coming from some of that as well. So that's fantastic. So uh, that is fantastic. Okay. That, that is brilliant. <laughs> uh, are, they, is your, are your retail sales growing or are they declining? Because again, again, this comes back to Amazon and people saying, oh, everyone's buying online. And, and, and it's not the case. I mean, the fact that you're getting those numbers as a percentage of total revenue is brilliant. So I'm just curious about for someone at the coalface, uh, is that percentage, is it shrinking? Is there the impact of the internet or not necessarily? So I don't like to make any rash judgments or decisions until I've seen a quarter. It hadn't been. I do will admit the last month I've seen a little decline in that percentage. Um, But I'm always one that I keep my finger right on the numbers so that I can correct and adjust so that at the end of the quarter, we still look, you know, pretty, pretty in pink. Um, So, you know, I'm not going to say yes, for sure, but we have seen a, a decline in the last month. Um, but what I do is I do flash sales. So when I see numbers that decline, we'll do a quick flash sale, like buy one, get one half off or something like that to recover. Again, something I get to do because I'm not behind the chair and I can watch that stuff. So, yeah. Okay. And do you put a lot of, a lot of time into, you know, training people and the retail side of things for the business? I mean, how do you motivate your team? Because at the end of the day, retail doesn't sell itself. You know, it has to be that relationship between the client and the hairdresser behind the chair and the hairdresser behind the chair, you know, caring enough to educate the client, recommend it and, and, you know, et cetera, follow through with it. So, So how do you handle that? So a couple of ways. Number one, we have a career chart with a career path. And the only way you can get promoted is by retail sales and other things. But I mean, you can't get a promotion without hitting benchmarks in retail. And that's also how you get your raises. It's not, hey, Lisa's in a great mood today. I just got a 2% commission increase. Those increases only come from level jumping. Um, And then also too, I try to again, get to the why, because I feel like stylists want to know why are you making me sell retail? 
So I talk to them about if guests buy retail from you, they're 70% more likely to stick with you. So mm-hmm. things like that, the why behind we sell retail, you know, it's not just because the boss said it's because of these things. And I'm also transparent with our numbers. I let mm-hmm. them know that retail is how I pay for us to go on these retreats. It's how I buy your business cards, your tools, all of that stuff. So um, I provide everything they need except their shears. So, and the retail pays for that and they know that. So I think just being transparent with them, educating them on why we do it. And then also having it be a part of their career path is where success has been. Yeah. And do they get a commission for for retail sales as well? Or does that, instead of paying them commission, it goes towards all those other things? So originally, yes, that was the case. But in that survey I talked to you about, um, they talked about wanting paid time off, which again, in the US, we don't get. So we've actually changed that over to where they are getting paid time off as their commission in selling retail. So if they sell so much retail, they get banked hours that they can take off and be paid. Yeah. And you you have a level system for your stylists, but in mm-hmm. order for them to go up from one level to the next, retail is one of the boxes that have got to be ticked before they can move up. It's not just their age or their retention levels or whatever it's going to be, pre-booking levels, you know, whatever. There's a retail number. Is it a percentage or is it a dollar value or number of units? How do you yes. So, so it's two numbers. It's people buying products. So what percentage of all the guests you're seeing are buying product and then retail to service. So what percentage of your service are you doing in retail? Also, another thing we do that's motivating is when you're new kid, old kid, it doesn't matter. Every week we look at retail sales Whoever had highest retail sales goes to the front of the book. So they get anyone that's a non-request guest first before the rest of the team does. So that's mm. been a huge thing for us as well. That's great. That's fantastic. I, I've talked about that one before. So, uh, uh, you know, I used to do something similar to that, except it wasn't always on rebooking. It was on uh, retention. Uh, people that had mm-hmm. the highest retention mm-hmm. rates would go at the front of the book. Wow. Listen, this has been fantastic. We do need to to start to wrap up now. Where can people connect with you on Instagram or other social media channels, website, et cetera? So I'm Lisa Carr on Instagram, Lisa L. Carr on Facebook. Also, BHD Salon is also on Facebook and Instagram. Okay. <laughs> I, will, I will make sure that we uh, put those links on our website, growmysalonbusiness.com. And in the show notes for today's podcast. So uh, if you're listening to this podcast with Lisa Carr, and that's Carr with two R's, isn't it, Lisa? Yes, correct. I just want to make sure I got that right. Okay. Uh, So if you listen to this podcast with Lisa Carr and you've enjoyed it, do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. So to wrap up, Lisa, thank you ever so much for being on this week's episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. Thank you so much, Anthony. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.